And joining us right now from TheAthletic.com is Eno Saris. And Eno, uh, read your piece recently about the Andrew Kashner signing and a little bit about his uh, how he hasn't quite lived up to that big fastball. But before we talk about that, I wanted to talk to you about The Athletic, uh, the website, TheAthletic.com, creating an incredible roster of all sports writers, but baseball got some of the best. Tell us a little bit of how you came to theathletic.com. Yeah, I was uh, one of the lead writers over at Fangraphs for a long time, and one thing that I just really found exciting about what The Athletic is doing and why I wanted to join up was the quality of local writing um, that you mentioned that they're getting. They're really getting some of the best beat writers in every, in every city, and that's exciting to me because it's an opportunity, for, I think, for synergy and for collaboration between the national side, me, Ken Rosenthal, uh, Jason Stark, uh, Jim Bowden, and then also we have the resources of all these really great writers, uh, you know, in, in all the clubhouses uh, around the country that we can work with. So I've already been working with guys like Mark Carrick, who covers the Mets and Yankees, um, and uh, Trent Rosencrantz, who does the, who does the, the Red the red so I, you know i've been working with a lot of these guys they ask me numbers questions i ask them things about uh their players and get quotes help them have them help me get quotes so it's been really uh, a great collaboration process already and i can't wait as we sort of mature as a, as a baseball coverage to see where it goes as this as the athletic.com unfolds have you found management to be entirely upfront and transparent in other words was this the game plan they laid out for you when when they brought you in. Yeah, yeah, I, I you know I think that as a startup, there's definitely um, some figuring out process. Sure, as, uh, because we're hiring every day. <laughs> it seems like so uh, there is a little bit of you know figuring out the structures and, and how that works. But um, yeah, I, I I think that they. They just really want to have the best content out there, and they want uh, they want to provide really great content without pop up ads and without sort of the the stuff that can make reading stuff online just really you know not fun. So we're trying to make it easy and fun uh, and provide value for for people uh, paying for the subscription service. Well, so far you check uh, you guys check all the boxes. It really is a, it, it is an enjoyable read after reading so much stuff online where you do you get interfered with with videos cropping up that you don't want and pop-up ads. It's it's really a nice environment. I wanted to ask you a question again before we start talking about a couple of Orioles specifics. Um I'm a 66-year-old guy. I've been doing talk radio for 30-plus years. Uh, baseball is one of my passions. I've found the the analytics that have crept into the game and seem to be taking it over. I'm not against them. I'm just finding it hard for me to grab my arms around them and understand them. Does that make sense for you? Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. I think that that uh, is something that, people that use analytics just need to get better at. And it's something that we will get better at and something that I try to uh, make sure that I'm, I'm improving at it. The, the, the problem is that we need to tell stories and we need to tell stories in ways that are understandable and, uh, and use language that's understandable. We don't need to, um, you know, we don't need to make it all super hard to understand. So 
Well, um, I, I'm, I'm more down. Times, I'm, I'm more yeah. down on myself than you. In other words, I'm saying I have a hard time grasping the vocabulary of it. Your, your stories are fine. It's sort of understanding when you go to technical terms. Is there a way for somebody my age to get a, a handbook on those things where I can look them up when I read it? <laughs> There's a. One of the things that can help is the glossary at Fangraphs. There's a glossary of terms. Um, that okay. can be something that can help. Uh, but I also think on my, on my end, it's it's good for me to make sure that anytime I introduce a term to uh, at least give a sort of short introduction. A lot of times what I'll do is give links um, to other stuff so that if people want to read further, they can read further and other people that are sort of up to date on it can can breathe by that. All right. Well, I, f- I find it. I find the whole analytics thing. I know it's where the game is going, and I know I need to do a better job at understanding of it. And I'm going to be working on it, uh, even though I'm creeping up there in years. Hey, I did want to get to the Cashner article, and I found it interesting there uh, because you wrote a piece that's essentially about the fact that he hasn't lived up his results. Don't live up to the fastball. And you do some numbers breakdowns, but I thought what was really interesting is you don't just use the numbers. You get into some actual real scouting to back up your numbers by showing video of how he releases the ball. Yeah, I, you know, that's another thing that people can do to, to try and explain terms. And I think that yeah. it's useful to have people see it. I mean, when I say that Andrew Kashner's fastball plays down, uh, because of the way that he releases it, and, and I say things like effective velocity and and uh, and extension, you know, those can kind of be like, well, what's he talking about? Well, then you see in the video that his stride is really short, mm-hmm. and that he's nothing like a Tim Lincecum or a Trevor Bauer who get out there and really do these really long strides. What happens then is that that means the Cashner is releasing the ball closer to the mound. And guys like Tim Lincecum and Trevor Bauer are releasing the ball closer to the plate. You can understand that that gives you less reaction time, uh, makes the ball sort of jump at you. Well, one of the most interesting things is, is, so you you break that down. You're not suggesting that Andrew Kashner should suddenly work on creating a stride that gets him closer. You're just breaking it down and saying this is what he does, correct? Are you a believer that he could change at this point at 31, 32 years of age? I think it probably would be pretty dangerous. Yeah. Um, he's found a certain amount of success in the major leagues and then also, um, you know, messing with the mechanics on that level is something I'd rather do with a younger kid. I feel like that, um, you know, rather than do it with someone that's older, it might put stress on some other part of his body and, and uh, make the elbow or the shoulder go or something. Uh, but, you know, being aware of something like this, I think, can still help a pitcher because mm-hmm. you know if you if you think wow man I'm throwing 94 but they're they're squaring it up what's going on uh, what you then can do is adjust to where you're throwing the ball uh, you need to adjust adjust your command you can adjust what counts you throw the fastball in instead of throwing the fastball always in fastball counts sort of surprise them by throwing the fastball when they're expecting a slider you know doing certain things to play around uh, with your fastball because you understand your uh, arsenal better. You know, with the Cashner contract, I found one of the most interesting things, uh, and we're talking with Eno Cyrus of uh, uh, theathletic.com, and we're talking about this Andrew Cashner contract, is they're paying him only $5 million this year and $3 million deferred 
uh, in 2020, 21, and 22, he gets a million dollars a year from that. Is that typical today to 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 defer money on such a small contract? I understand the concept when the Mets signed Bobby Bonilla 20 years ago or the Orioles signed Chris Davis two and a half years ago. But, boy, that seemed odd to me. Yeah. Um, I think that probably on the agent side, they, they prefer not to to have a deal like that because it's, uh, you know, money in future years is worth less than money right now. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think that the team is happy to do that. Uh, but uh, maybe Cashner wasn't looking at a ton of deals uh, even after a good ERA because the stuff under the hood didn't look as good, didn't have a great strikeout rate, didn't have a great walk rate, didn't have a great ground ball rate. So in some ways I would have rather have maybe signed Jaime Garcia, who uh, you know is oft injured uh, but has been a little bit better pitcher while he's been on the bump, um, and he didn't cost a lot more. But I'm also not aware exactly of how much you know Baltimore has to spend and uh, how much they want to spend. Yeah, it was interesting. I, f- I find the, the this contract, when you, you sum it up in its totality, though, you know, the, the uh, incentives he's got uh, the, with the third year kicking in, if he reaches an amount of innings in two previous seasons that he's never even really come within 30 innings of. So it seems like a little pie in the sky on the incentive side of things. Yeah, well, you know, they put in, they put in some weird things in the past, like MVP awards for relievers right. and stuff. So, you know, uh, some of that stuff is just, uh, yeah, just a what if. All right. I, I think that it's most likely that um, Kashner basically signed, you know, like a one-year deal uh, to to help them uh, to help them to the back end of the rotation. What What do you overall? What do you think of the contract that the Orioles got Kashner on? Like I said, I'd rather have Jaime Garcia. Yep. But uh, you know, it's hard to fill in a rotation. They seem to be wanting to doing it on the on the cheap. Um, you know, it's, they're not necessarily going to go out there and sign Jake Arrieta. Uh, I think that he can probably be a, a back end pitcher, but I don't know. I, you know, I, I'm not too too excited about the signing. All right, Chris Tillman. The Orioles got him on a one year deal. The dollars kind of speak to the to what was what he was last year he gets a three million dollar guarantee and seven million dollars in incentive how do you judge a bounce back candidate when you know that something was wrong with him you can't know it's right again until you start to see results correct yeah yeah it doesn't have to be results as in necessarily play on the field but i think early in spring you can start to see he really lost his release point yeah he and it really matters for him because he's got that big over-the-top curveball uh, and a rising fastball. He really needs to be sort of over-the-top. And as he lost that and, and sort of drifted downward, maybe because he was hurting, uh, maybe for whatever reason trying to get more movement on the fastball, as he did that, he lost his main weapons. Um, so they really will be watching that release point, trying to get him back up on top again. Hopefully he feels good. In some ways, I like that contract better because, you know, it is all about the health. Yeah. If he's got the health, then they can actually uh, get you know a lot more out of him. He'll be uh, he could be a good pitcher again. I mean, it's, it's really just about the health of his body. Uh, I want to talk to you about Colby Rasmus, and we've just got a few more minutes. But I did want to get one more opinion from you on a pitcher. I've been writing and preaching on the radio that I think that the perfect guy to round out the O's rotation, and again, 
I'm not looking at a Hugh Darvish or Jake Arrieta here, but I'm thinking with what the Orioles' strengths are, if they can send a starter out who can give a team six innings pretty much every time, they've got something. And I look at 43-year-old knuckleballing R.A. Dickey, and I can't understand with Buck's relationship with him back in Texas why this hasn't been a perfect fit. No, I think that's a, I think that's a great one. Um, and it, it actually, I think it would fit almost better than Kashner, who's had all these injury issues in the past. You know, Baltimore's sort of built to, to win six to five, you know? Yep. And, uh, and Dickey can get out there and, and give you three or four runs in six innings. So, um, you know, and then get it over to that great bullpen. I mean, that's sort of how they've been built in the past, and I think Dickey would really fill in, fit in with that. Yeah, last eight years, he's averaged over 203 innings a year. Not an injury-prone guy. Last year, threw 190 innings and had 20 out of uh, 20. Was it 20 out of 28 starts or 22 out of 30 starts were six innings or more? So, makes a lot of sense yeah. to me. Uh, he tells me he throws at 75 percent effort, so he yep. can even throw in between if you if you have a short day. Yeah. Anyway. They, they've made one addition here. They were after Jared Dyson, who got a what I think is a really nice club-friendly contract in, in Arizona. Two years, $7.5 million. Orioles went a different route and go for a guy who sort of hung it up midseason last year because of injuries. Your thoughts on Colby Erasmus? He's a decent player. Um, you, know, I don't, you don't sound excited, I just, Ina. No, no. I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's he's... 31, so he's. I don't think it's over yet for him, yeah. and um, he's never going to be a star. But he and he strikes out too much. But in the good years, he he takes his walks and he hits for a lot of power. So I think he could he could be a decent player for them. Um, maybe be even a league average guy if the health if he's healthy. So that's something that they needed. Yep. Um, and I and I don't think that. Um, I don't think that they cost. It doesn't cost them much. So I, I actually like that deal. It was, I think it was a good depth signing, and um, you know they don't have to rely on their prospects to come up right away in the outfield. When I booked you to come on, you and I were dealing with emails, and I, I sent you an email with some numbers, uh, and I did not know that on on uh, BaseballReference.com they broke this down in the splits. They actually have a player. Every player's his record in wins, you know, his batting average on base percentage in wins and losses, and they break it down. And I found it funny with Rasmus, he's played in 542 wins and 532 losses, so it's almost like the right hand and the left hand. Anyway, batting average 281 uh, when they win, 201 when they lose on base percentage is, where, where did I write down, 353 when they win, 266 when they lose, the numbers go on and speak to that. Is that the case with all ball players that they play much better in wins? It's, uh, I think part of it is, yeah, yes, for sure. I think part of it is they were part of why the team won and okay. part of why the team lost. So um, that's, that's what you, why you find that. Um, you know, I've got the numbers overall for last year. Winners, uh, batters in, in, in winning games had an 871 OPS, and in losses they had a 624 OPS. Wow. So, yeah, that's, that's your that's your average split right there, and that's um, you know 676 OPS. That's that's you know 624 OPS. That's a pretty bad OPS. That's that's um, not a great player. So that's what that's what happens. You get your team gets shut down. Everyone looks bad in that in that loss. So hey, an old um, 
an old friend of mine was one of the first analytic guys I knew of in baseball. Do you remember Eddie Epstein? Do you, did you know Eddie? I did not know him, but I know I, I know of him. He taught me one thing, and you watch the, the strikeouts to walk ratio. And when you see somebody that's bad at that, unless they start to improve it in the minor leagues or very early in a major league career, they never seem to improve that. And I looked at Rasmus's numbers last year where he had nine home runs and seven doubles in very limited play, but the strikeouts were still 45-7. to He's never been able to keep away from striking out too many times. He was right. Um, Walk rate and and strikeout rate only improve until you're about 26 years old uh, on average, and then they they definitely get worse. And I I personally – I, even though a strikeout is an out, just like any other, especially late in the games and in clutch situations, I'd rather have the guy who puts the ball in play. And I think the numbers bear that out. We have a clutch stat uh, on Fangraphs. So they have a clutch stat on Fangraphs, and he's been uh, Grasmus has been a negative in every year yep. except for his rookie season. Not surprising. So, not surprising. Not necessarily the most clutch guy. And if you think about like game on the line, would you rather? Pitch to a guy like Freddie Sanchez, uh, old second baseman that put the ball in play, Marco Scudero, those kind of guys. Yeah. Or would you rather pitch to Adam Dunn? And I think you'd rather pitch to Adam Dunn, even though he could take the ball deep. What you really need is no balls in play. And yep. Adam Dunn struck out a lot more. All right. Well, one thing is you always hit the numbers. Eno Saras, now of theathletic.com. Really appreciate the time, Eno. Very insightful. Thanks for having me on. All right. We'll be back with more of the Bat Around right after these words. 